everybody. Welcome to another episode of What's the Point podcast live from Waypoint Studios. This is me, I'm Pastor Lawrence. I'm joined by uh, Pastor Danny. We're actually on the other side. We're in way, the, the other wing of Waypoint Studios on the other side of the building. That's how massive we are. Our studios cover a large area, large ground. Actually, we're in this area uh, because our original location of recording is uh, had a lot of shop vac noises going on. So we, we figured you didn't want to hear that in the background. Yeah, but we are excited today. It's just the two of us. We talked to some other staff and uh, we're the only two who can make it, but we wanted to get the podcast out and get back on our normal uh, every other week schedule. So we might be the only two foolish enough to talk about this topic with confidence. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> well, I think for both of us, we learned it years ago in seminary, and then we both have really just been thinking through worship as we move from a church plant to a, a, a local church with a lot of people from a lot of different traditions and backgrounds. And what is our uh, teaching on the Lord's Supper on, on Holy Communion? And that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, we want to talk about communion and it's kind of a little bit of its history, a little bit of uh, why we do things the way we do. And it's just an important part of worship that I'm sure you guys you know about it, but you probably don't know that much about it. You know, you probably don't know the exact reasoning behind certain elements of what we do, communion, how we do it, and how other churches have done it uh, throughout history. So we want to dive a little bit into that because it is such an important part of our worship, such an important part of who we are as followers of Christ. It's instituted by Christ. That's you right. Know, it's, it's one of the few ordinances that's instituted by Christ himself for the church to practice and be a part of. So we want to just spend the next couple of minutes like diving in and trusting God that you'd learn something from this and be more excited about coming each week to worship and see how communion is, is part of worship. Mm, that's perfect. And so with that said, let's start off with this question. What are some of your experiences uh, with communion? How, how have you practiced communion throughout your life? Yeah, so I grew up in the Assembly of God, kind of the Pentecostal moving into the charismatic tradition. Uh, and growing up, we were low church, so we did not do much, any real liturgy or high church things. We did Christmas and Easter. We did practice and have the Lord's Supper maybe once every two months. Uh, the only thing I really remember about it was people really emphasize Paul's when he says, make sure you haven't sinned against another brother. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal in our, maybe just our congregation or our, the denomination, I, I'm not sure. But I do remember the pastor would emphasize that, like, don't take it if you, if you're holding a grudge or if you have just like take some time to repent and and even like some people would walk around the room and talk to other people or or pray in their seats I, we did have the little cups and the little wafers they we had these gold trays <laughs> that had these little tiny cups and it was the 80s so we had like green carpet mm -hmm. so it wasn't as big of a deal when people spilled it but i think when we moved in the 90s and beige was all the fad and <laughs> then all of a sudden there's great carpet and fat right yeah now, there's grape juice all over the carpet but that that was my memory then as i went to college i went to a methodist church presbyterian church episcopal church lutheran i was trying all different things and uh, that's when i began to see that wow there was this, for a lot of traditions, the uh, Lord's Supper was a, a little more central in the worship service. Not that it wasn't important those Sundays that we did it growing up, but I went to some churches where it was important more often and more central in the in the worship service itself. What were some of the different methodologies that you have done communion in those places? So, so what's interesting is I remember as a kid going to a Catholic service, maybe somehow friend or something and i remember not being allowed to take it because you know maybe i wasn't old enough or what uh but my and then I, but then i remember going to like a lutheran church maybe my cousins went to that 
and you walk, it was a real small church and you walk up at the end and they, and you all kneel and he gives each person, this is a Protestant church, a, a big goblet of wine and you all drink from the same goblet. And I'd never had alcohol before. I was like nine or 10. I, <laughs> I was like, what? I almost like jolted. I almost wanted to spit it out. It was a big, but that was interesting. And then in the, say, for example, the Methodist tradition was the first time and some Presbyterians where I saw intinction where you, what well, we practice at Waypoint where you walk up. It was a little more interactive. So I, I kind of seen a lot. I did go to a couple churches that did it every Sunday and then a couple churches that did it much more than say a tradition, than a Baptist or charismatic low church tradition would have done in the eighties and nineties when I grew up. So I kind of saw the full thing as a participant. I was just excited. I didn't think much about it until seminary when I heard more about how important the Lord's supper was. I think it was kind of downplayed across the board, even among my friends who were part of more of this high church tradition. I don't think they thought of it as that important mm-hmm. or the, the, how, how much it, it really is, should be part of our spiritual life. So that was my experience. Yeah. Somewhat similar. I, I, I grew up in a more Presbyterian tradition. And so it was uh, something that was very serious. It was happened about once a month. Um, I distinctly remember um, just kind of not understanding, like, why am I doing this? And this is weird. You know, kind of like that whole, when I was a kid, like, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm just going to do this. Um, they just kind of growing up in that tradition. Uh, I remember in college, um, basically going to like non-denominational churches, and communion was just not a part of what, really what we did. Maybe every, I don't know, three months, every six months, there was communion was done. wasn't valued, wasn't seen as important. Um, and then after that, I've been to a diff- couple different traditions where. You know, um, it was seen as something that's just representative a lot. You know, like this is representative of what Jesus did. So like, oh, this represents the body. This represents the blood. But so we do every once in a while. Um, kind of just, that's just kind of more my experience. It's a representative. This represents Jesus and this represents the, uh, the covenant. And But not this huge. is a vital exercise for no. the local church to do as part of our spiritual growth. Exactly. In our, it was our, just something like we, we, we do it occasionally. This is a good mm-hmm. thing to occasionally do because we're supposed to kind of do it. Okay. Does that make sense? That's, that's kind yeah. of more my experience uh, yeah. post-college. And that segues into the little history lesson, mm-hmm. if we want to have that. So really, the early church, from from what we have, the Eucharist, uh, which there's three words that we you might hear, maybe even a fourth term. So you're going to hear the word the Lord's Supper, which is... Uh, you know, talking about the event that we read in, in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, this this last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. Uh, it's also called the Eucharist, which is just a translation of the Greek. I'm almost positive it's the Greek, maybe not, or the Latin word for Thanksgiving. I know it's the word for Thanksgiving. I think it's the Greek word for Thanksgiving. So it's like the Thanksgiving meal, or it's also called Holy Communion. It's, it's a meaning like the word we're communing with God. Uh, so those are the three terms that kind of get thrown around depending on which tradition or which church you come from. Uh, I grew up mostly calling it communion or the Lord's Supper. But the history of it is really important in the early church. And I'm looking at, I have a stack of papers in front of me that I did to prepare for this podcast, going back to probably the earliest document we have is something called the Didache, which is Mm -hmm. a a document that was actually lost and discovered in 1885. And it might be the oldest document we have that, talks about how some of the practices of one of the early churches, the early church in Alexandria, Egypt, it's not the only early church, it was just one church, and it, it, it might be based on some documents that are even around the time of the apostles, around the time of the Gospel of Acts. Uh, and in that document, the, the Eucharist is the, 
Lord's Supper is really important, and uh, it's it's a meal like a family meal. They eat together, they do it, and it's participatory, and it's it's a vital part of worship. If you look at most of the early church fathers, it was really important. Going to the Catholic Church, it was extremely important. Like part of the, like it was probably the main part of the mass or the second, you know, like one of the most important, if not the most important part of the, of the weekly gathering. And, and then when, during the Protestant Reformation, it was extremely important to Luther. It was extremely important to Calvin. It was extremely important to Wesley and Zwingli and, and all the reformers. Um, and then as the individualistic church kind of came to the rise and, and people thinking we don't need liturgy if it's not in the bible we don't need it you know and i get it a lot of the pushback against liturgy was because of abuse in the church or things that were that people felt like were wrong but so by the time around 1980 to 1990 a lot of american protestant churches were only doing particularly in the baptists and the charismatic or non-denominational traditions were only doing it maybe two to four times a year so that's like the lowest in all of church history. Right. Like it, so it went from a couple times a week to maybe a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. So that you could see the trend. Uh, then around 2010, a lot of people like my age and a little younger than me were like, wow, this is really important. We read the, father, the early church fathers and we read the reformers and we're like this should even though we're from this non-denominational or these other traditions this should be more important uh it so people begin to really investigate and learn more about it now some of the my friends were presbyterian or whatever they they felt like we never left we were always part of the party and this isn't a who's right or who's wrong it's just what's the best for our local church as we worship god and who do we want to be i think one element of that historically speaking is that after the enlightenment and then the printing press. And that's one of the great things. Printing press is one of the best inventions in the world because the Bible got Bible got in the hands of all the people. Yeah. You know? And they, and they could begin to translate it into their they own languages. Their own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They get to understand it on their own. They didn't have some priest who got to have to interpret it for them. Mm-hmm. So it's been incredible. We love the, uh, the Enlightenment. We love the Bible. But what also has started happening is that what the element of the worship service started changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, this enlightened... Speaker, this intellectual understanding of the scriptures, this expounding upon scriptures, which is not a bad thing whatsoever. Yeah. The early church did expound upon the scriptures. Right. You kind of lost but, it during the Dark Ages. But, we lost the pre-printing press. Yeah. We lost the pre-enlightenment. But they started coming back. You know, and rational thinking, this idea of we can learn, we can know more, and knowledge is better, mm-hmm. which is all true statements. But so what became started becoming more central to worship series is that in an individualistic uh, kind of individualistic kind of mentality mixed in with enlightenment thinking led to this idea of the teaching of of scripture was the most important thing and it became the key element not this communal sacrament but instead it became this individualistic teaching of the Bible for that one individual to receive yeah so the teaching the preaching portion of the worship service became the prominent and versus and we'll talk about later in the podcast what should be what, what should a worship service look like? What right. models did the New Testament give us? And really interesting, I literally got a, a thing in my inbox today from a theologian named Michael Bird, and he was looking at, he's uh, out of Australia, and he's he's a little more from the Presbyterian traditional side, more Reformed. But he was saying that Francis Chan came out and literally had a quote in his podcast saying that we've replaced the Lord's Supper with one guy in his pulpit. And kind of Chan is recognizing this. And I, we didn't do this podcast because of 
is a reaction to this bold statement from Francis Chan. We already we were supposed to do this three weeks ago, uh, but I randomly saw that this morning, and I, I just think that it is true. In our individualistic tradition, we've pit we've kind of said the the sermon has to be the highest point of the worship service. And at the expense of what Chan is right on, it's been at the expense of the Lord's Supper. We still sing. We still fellowship together. Casseroles were a big part of these low church <laughs> traditions. They definitely had meals together. They just didn't have the Lord's Supper with the meal. So did we lose something? I'm not, I haven't listened to Chan's podcast, so I'm not endorsing anything he said. I'm just acknowledging that Chan was very low church. You know, Francis Chan, uh, Pastor uh, Francis Chan was very low church, and he's He's having this revival. I'm not saying he's the only one or whatever, but I'm just saying like literally that's where we're at in this pivotal moment in church history. So we're not doing this because we want to ride a wave or this is cool. We're doing this because we feel like the Lord's Supper is vital to worship and we want we want to ask God, what are what is Waypoint called to do? And what, we, what I want to make clear to anybody listening to this is that I'm not making statements of right or wrong mm-hmm. or even value statements. I'm just making statements of historically this is what's happened. I'm not saying, oh, it's a bad thing or it's a good thing or it's an evil thing or a right thing. I was literally saying I think historically this is what's been the trend and what's been happening in our current trend now. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing that we have good preaching with you know good expository preaching yeah why can't you have good expository preaching and the lord's supper right so i'm not saying that i am saying though that i also think with the rise in our current age of stand-up comedians talk show hosts all this kind of stuff that we also see a rise of elevated speakers yes uh being attractional uh, more so than the communion communion of saints over communion yes and you heard it here i mean we're not saying that to downplay we're we're not going to talk bad about anybody out there. Each local church is making the decisions on how they want to run their service. Uh, we may not choose to do the same things they do, but you can see a rise. Uh, I remember about 10 years ago, it was Erica's birthday, and we went to the Deepak to see a famous comedian, like one of the most famous comedians of all time. He was getting older, and we wanted to see him you know, before he retired. And I remember listening to him and being like, this is very similar to some of the popular uh pastors i'd ever heard he he engages the room for a full hour straight and and then i remember going then the rise of ted talks and i was like wow this is very similar not that there's anything wrong with ted talks or having a sermon that has some ted talk elements or some elements like a comedian would have but we are a culture that needs that like we need this top-notch person who can entertain us and really keep our attention to learn something and maybe that's caused the worship service to, to that that's our expectation because we can go on youtube and watch this incredibly talented person who spent hours and hours preparing and we forget that that's not that's not what the worship service that's not the only that's maybe not what exactly we should be focusing on in the worship service so we're just here to process we're not here to make judgment we're just we're just thinking through this and how it relates to worship. So with that idea of processing, a few years back, um, one of the things that we were transitioning, to be honest with you, at Waypoint Church, when we first started off, it was like, let's just get stuff done. 
and we're just going to do things the best we know how, uh, kind of fly by the seat of our pants a little bit. You know, God called a small group of people together to to be a church that was intentional about reaching the nations, being the preview of the coming kingdom and advancing his kingdom. And so it's been awesome to see what God was doing with that group of people, but there's a lot of stuff that we were doing as a church that we just didn't have the chance to truly think out, flesh out, um, before we started just doing um, and so with that said, I remember asking the elders, I asked Danny, I asked a few others to really look into why we do things the way we do, what can we do better, what's, what's make kind of define more of who we are. And I, Danny did a good dive into communion here. And I want you to share, share some of those thoughts about that, Danny. Yeah, so I, you know, Lawrence just asked me to kind of, you know, I, I had some experience in worship in some different traditions. Like I said, I grew up in a very low church tradition, and then I served as a minister, as a pastor in some higher church traditions and some kind of in between. Yeah. So I just kind of came to it with open hands, talked to some other people, read some stuff, you know, theology and, and church history. And, you know, I came back and I said to the elders, I said, I think intinction's a great option for our church. I think what we were already doing, I don't know why Lawrence might explain later. I'll explain how, later. Yeah. Intinction is when you dip the, the bread in the, in the cup. But I felt like, you know, our service is not super participatory. Uh, our singing is is participatory. And, and if you notice, we sing more songs at the end of the worship after the sermon, which is very intentional. A lot of modern non-denominational types, you know, Baptist-type churches don't do that. Uh, that's that's part of our intentionality. But, yeah, so I felt like the intention was a good thing. It, it, we come up, we're participating. It's, it's like leaving your seat. Uh, I, I thought maybe offering a chance for people to go back to their seat and reflect. Maybe you don't have to eat the cracker as you're walking back to your seat. That was probably the only suggestion I had was giving people a chance. And then at, at, the elders kind of came to it, and the, or the staff. I don't remember who said it, but we realized that our kids workers, who we don't, we're only doing it on the first Sunday of the month. So our kids workers uh, who work the first Sunday of the month, we were trying to bring it back to them, which is really distracting. Uh, so we we really prayed about it and we thought let's do it at least twice a month like because it's it's a good thing and then we landed on maybe the first Sunday of the month is more of the confession part and the third Sunday of the month is kind of the remembrance of the new covenant and the family meal element because we believe that all three of those are part of how the Lord's Supper is presented to us so yeah I just just like I think you know my assessment was where waypoint was it was good what we were doing. But let's, as we hear a little bit of feedback from staff, elders, lay people, you know, the, the congregation, we, we added those few more elements. We added um, just more explanation, uh, a little more formality to it. Yeah, so that, that's kind of where we landed. And with kids, finally, we prayed about it a lot. We looked at it and we realized that we just felt like we believe kids are a part of our covenant family. So when a, when a parent feels like the child is ready, uh, they can take it with the child, not like you send the child up by themselves. Uh, and then we also decided that for our, what's called our Bridge 45 class, our fourth and fifth graders, once a month they're in the service, one of the two communion Sundays. They don't have uh, children's uh, worship in their, their children's class, and they go in there too so that they could begin to learn what it means to participate. So those were some of the choices that we made as a church for worship Uh and we wanted communion to be a big part of it, so we, we we chose to make it a big a big part of the worship service. So one of the elements that I've thought about when we come to making decisions like this, how we do certain things, is 
really looking at the Bible, what the, what the Bible says. And here's the, here's the deal, and I want you guys to understand this. The Bible is not very clear. The Bible doesn't offer that many details on how to take communion. Actually, actually well, the story that we have, the account that we have of orderly worship is because the Corinthians were doing crazy stuff. Right. And they were like actually even getting drunk at meals. So the re- only reason we have, the main reason we have a clear instruction by Paul of what to do, the clearest instruction we have other than Jesus' teaching at the actual Last Supper is in response to a problem. Not Paul's not saying like, like, hey, guys, here's how you do it in all the churches. He's saying, in Corinth, you're doing some things wrong. So by correcting those wrongs, we learn the clearest teaching we have on what we're supposed to do. But it's not 100% clear. Right. And those wrongs were heart-related issues. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, a, issues of uh, the mode. Yeah. It was heart-related issues. So what, what, I, what we believe here at Waypoint Church, it's not the mode of ingestion, but it's the connection to the gospel. It's, the, it's more the frequency of the reception and the worthiness of those who are receiving it. You know, so it's and so based on that, this idea that, and I think this is a principle we see all throughout the Bible. The Bible isn't all the time clear how certain things should be done. The Bible isn't clear what color carpet we should have or what color pews we should have. Bible isn't clear. And, on, and, and to be honest, it's not clear on should we baptize infants or or people who are old yeah. enough to confess themselves because. The you know the reformers thought we should baptize infant, but then a lot of people who came after them, Charles Spurgeon and others, some people in our own tradition thought you shouldn't. So even even baptism itself is it's the a New Testament found yeah found doctrinal issue yeah the New Testament says get baptized. Do you baptize infants and bring them into the covenant family and then confirm their baptism? They confirm their own baptism when they're somewhere between eleven and. 14 or 15 or whatever, it's 18, or do you wait until they're 11 or 13, or when do you, when do you baptize it? There's, it's not 100% clear in the text. There are some things in the text that are 100% clear. Jesus was born of a virgin. Yep. He, Jesus is fully God, fully man. That's 100% clear in text. There's no arguing against that. But some of these how to do church, how to run church, it's not 100% clear, so I believe we have the freedom to say, God's saying, here's what the Lord's Supper is, and here's why you need to do it, right. and here's um, what it, what you need to have it. You need elements of bread and, and wine, and, and you need the congregation, and you need fellowship, and you need confession, yep. and you need to have remembrance. But other than that, it's it's a little more open. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. And we always say this all the time here at Waypoint Church. The beautiful thing about the Bible is that it isn't so particular and bogged down and locked down in these ways because it allows the Spirit to lead us and guide us in whatever cultural context and whatever time period that we exist in. God knew His church was going to last through the ages. And so He allowed it to be done through the ages. You know, and so that's the beautiful thing about this. And every thing. culture, every the the gospel the communion can go to every culture, and they can participate in it. It's not bound to like just you know people who live near Jerusalem who are Jewish background with a little bit of Greco Roman knowledge. That that's the only way you can really get something out of it. Mm-hmm. The way it's presented in the New Testament, I've I've seen it. It can go to any culture anywhere in the world and transform those people and be part of their worship. Because it's presented to us as a series of principles of what it what it means and what it takes to do it and why you should do it and how you you gather, but then it doesn't tell you exactly what to do and, and how often to do it and when to do it in the worship service. It just says do it. Right. And 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 have the remembrance element, have the confession element, and have the family meal element. Have all three of these things in 
when you do it. And don't neglect those three things because they're vital to continually do over and over and over again until the Lord comes back. That's right. And then for us at Waypoint Church, we decided on intention because so, we wanted to bring in elements of involvement, participation in the congregation, elements of that family meal together so that we serve somebody serves somebody else, uh, where you receive, and then you partake and you eat, almost like you would eat a meal together. You know, and so it's very much a concept that we wanted to bring those elements together in because we felt like it wasn't the mode that was important, but it was the heart. It was the, it was the connection to the gospel and to each other and to uh, this greater story and then more about the, you know, who it is that's giving this meal, this incredible meal to us. And so this beautiful, precious meal, this gift that God's given, this sacrament that we've been given, we practice in this manner. But what exactly is the import of this meal? I mean, is it is it is it like some people say? Is it just representative? It's like, oh, this just represents. Is it like some people say? Is it actually transformed into the blood and body of Christ? What do we believe here, Danny? Yeah. So, if you look at church history, like I said earlier, the early church. You know, it's, there's not a ton written by the early church, and partly because they had to write everything. They didn't have the printing press. They wrote everything by hand. Libraries got burnt down, unless it was in the desert or something, a very area with not a lot of humidity. It might have gotten ruined. Uh, so we don't have a ton of stuff from the early church. A lot of the Roman emperors couldn't stand Christians, and they burnt their churches and their libraries. But what we do have is we see it's extremely important to them. The Catholic Church is extremely important to the point where the Catholic Church literally thought you're eating, that it it transforms like into real, you know, the real body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Like it, it's supernatural. Um, and Jesus himself says, unless you eat my flesh, you know, in, in a different passage, not even when he's teaching on communion, mentions that. So they, they have some biblical merit to that. Uh, Luther didn't go that, when Luther kind of broke away from the Catholic Church, he didn't go that far from them. He didn't say, he he, he didn't quite say that it completely, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, that it completely turns into the bread and the, bread and the, the body and, and the blood, but it, he's like, it's pretty close. And then Calvin's like, Luther's almost there, and Calvin's like, whether something supernatural is happening or not doesn't really matter. It's a supernatural. You taking it and you receiving its grace is supernatural. Michael Horton, who's kind of basing off Calvin, he's a he's a theologian who actually um, I think he's he's in the North Carolina area. He says the presence of Christ is not restricted to the believer's faith, reducing the bread and wine to a memorial. As, like I said, some people teach. He says, The Holy Spirit energizes the elements to convey the presence of Christ and the grace that it accomplishes his work. So, we're coming, so I guess at Waypoint, we're probably coming from more of this part of the Protestant tradition that says it's extremely important. Like something transformative is happening by you taking that meal. And we truly believe that you are confessing your sin to God and you are, you're, you're coming to this community gathering often. And saying, I am a broken vessel. I am saved by grace. The finished work on the cross saved me, but I'm, we're there and not there yet. And I'm coming to the table to confess my sin, accept the forgiveness that God give me, God's given me, and remember that this new covenant I have until he comes back, and I'm doing this with my brothers and sisters. And that is like super natural. That is powerful. It's not just a rote ritual. So 
not that, and you may not even feel it every time, but we want you to know that that because God ordained this, he's in this. And that's that's kind of where we're approaching it at Waypoint. I would say closest to maybe out of the Reformation where Calvin is, that something supernatural is hap- should happen because we're receiving the grace of Christ and we're that we're part of this new covenant in his blood. Yeah. There's two more uh, dimensions I want to mention with communion for us. It's, it's the earthly celebration that anticipates the great marriage supper as well. Amen. So it's also like when we're coming to communion together, we're also not looking to the past. We're looking to the future. We're saying in the future, it all will be consummated. Everything will be finished, and it's the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And we look forward to it eagerly. You know, it's like it's like the, uh, the engagement dinner. You know, I don't know if you guys ever do do anything like that, but I remember when my wife and I got engaged. Um, we had we brought our parents in and surprised each other, and you know, had this nice dinner together. And I was like, that was a small taste of what our wedding was going to be like. You know, so that's when we do communion together. Every single time we're doing it together, we're saying, thank you for what you've done, Jesus. Thank you for this gift now, Jesus. But we're also saying, thank you for that. It's going to be one day be done. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be perfect. It's going to be right. But it's also a, a covenantal dimension to this. It's, um, this is, is that what we celebrate is God himself is reaffirming his covenant to sinners like us by bearing the curse for them. And so this beautiful idea is it's covenantal all over again. It's, it's God reaffirming that I bore the curse for you. I take it all. So it's a covenant to recommitment promise every single time. That's why it's supernatural. This is not something we can conjure up. You know, anybody can conjure up bread and wine. But with the sacraments, his presence is really there. It looks forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb and God reaffirming his covenantal promise to us. Amen. So a couple questions you might ask. Uh, so we kind of talked about why we do intinction. Somebody might ask or might have heard that intinction is not biblical fully because jesus separated the two he's like Mm -hmm. first you should take the bread then you should take the wine and we 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 do them together uh why why uh why is that why do we still think that it's it's totally fine biblically absolutely to to do uh to do intinction the way we do it well so the people who argue that principle is they often refer to the regulatory principle which just means regulatory principle is just came out of the Protestant Reformation. It's one branch thinks that if it's not exactly described in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, then you can't do it. Like they kind of, but the problem is, is there's a lot of breakdowns in their argument. Like I could go to their church service and find hundreds of things of the way they run their church because it would almost be impossible to do by the book. Exactly. So like, you know, they well, didn't pay taxes or, you know, you know, like there's a lot of things well, that we do as modern churches that that aren't exactly in the Bible. We get principles from the Bible and then run our church. So right. and they would say, well, it's only linked to worship or whatever. But I I mean, well, yeah. even in worship. So like, first of all, if by the regulatory principle, you're using real wine, real bread. Is your bread unleavened bread? Or some kind is of bread. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, there's so many elements that you're like, no, 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 and, no. Yeah, and, and then, so so you could get legalistic, but we, so Lawrence, so why, so we just think that it's it's a method that the church has passed down to us. There's about four or five ways to do it. Right. And it's, and it's not about the mode, like we said before. It's about... What yeah. it is. It's about the heart. It's about the, the means. It's about what's happening, our connection to the gospel. It's about the family meal. It's about the re- amount we do. It's about the presence of God. And one could even say in the way we do it, we are separating it. We do have the bread first. We talk about being broken and the wine first. And when we give it to you, we give it to you separately. Yeah. 
You know, so the mode of whether you ingest it together, how does that make any difference mm-hmm. in, in overall the whole manner of, of element of it, other than trying to find a strict adherence to the regulatory principle, which yeah. is once again not even principles that in the Bible. Yeah, and so this strict adherence to a law that's not even in the Bible is the only argument against this methodology, and so for us it doesn't hold weight yeah. to what we're doing. Yeah, and we just feel like. After much prayer, this is the best me- best method for Waypoint Church because it flows with the it, it works well with the way we do our service, and we we want people to feel like they're participating, and we also want you to come up for prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we have the prayer team around, or when Lawrence offers it, you know, if you just want to come up to the altar and pray, right. but you can walk around the room and pray. We we want the service you to feel the freedom to. Uh, ask for prayer, just pray, uh, come forward for a communion. We, we, we think that there are parts of the service that should be more participatory. In the singing time, close your eyes and just belt it out to God. You know, like we, we want you to feel like you, you can worship and we, we want this communion to be, to be part of that worship. And if you're not feeling it, you know, just ask God, like start preparing your heart uh, when we do the first Sunday of the month confession, like pay attention to that. And then when we do the third Sunday where we're trying to to, to incorporate elements of remembrance and covenant and family. So when it comes down to worship, I mean, when we see the elements of worship that we try to bring into is the communal element, the vertical element of focusing on who God is, his character, the preaching, the singing, the the praying, the the communion. We want all of it to, to just all of it to come together in one service that glorifies God, and we want it to be something that we invite you into the, His very presence and receiving from His Holy Spirit and lifting the name of Jesus. This is our desire. We believe the Bible is very, very clear on a few things. Very, very clear. It's very, very clear that He's called us to not neglect gathering together. The importance of our holy assembly together as a body of Christ to worship together is so important. I don't want you to miss it, my people. This is not a legalistic say, you guys have to be at church and you have to be part of communion. This is, this is what's best for you. This is what's good for you. This is what makes you sore. This is what God calls you to. I mean, think about it again. Communion is a looking back at what Jesus has done. It's incredible work. It's a very giving of his very presence and grace to us in our present reality. And it's a promise looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you're literally communing with God at that moment. You're participating with God. Calvin says himself, he says, if you don't think of this moment as true communication with Jesus, like you're engaging with Jesus, then the whole exercise is frivolous mm-hmm. and it's heresy. Like communion has to be us coming to the table and engaging. Now, of course, Calvin's not the end all be all. Like, But as we look at church history, if we take away the element of coming to the table and participating in Jesus, we feel like at Waypoint that we're selling it short of what it could be. Mm-hmm. There are other churches that don't believe exactly like we do, that think it should be more communal with Christ, and there are ones who think it should be just memorial. We're saying that this is where we we feel like what the text is clear to us as we prayed about it, and we this is the way we want to present it to you in worship. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of those elements. Is there any other thing that that we think of as, you know, questions you guys have? You know, always come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. We're here to listen. Our worship, we're, we're intentional, but we're always reforming. We're always yes. growing. We want to, you're part of the worship service. So 
you know, we may not be able to implement the thing that you ask us to do, but we're definitely going to listen and, and hear from the congregation because we want to come and worship on Sunday morning. And we want this to be a family meal together where there's confession and, and, and remembrance and, and re- renewal of the covenant. And one more cool thing is, I don't, I don't know if you guys, some of, many of you participated last year, over 100 people participated, but we did these things called Monday, Thursday meals during Holy Week. And we just asked people to sign up and, and take the Lord's Supper and eat a meal with the people who live geographically close to you or just people that maybe it was a natural fit for you to meet with that night. And we're going to continue that every year on the Thursday before Easter and have communion together in homes and have a meal. But we're also going to incorporate that into our small groups and ask every community group to do it sometime in November or December around the Advent season to Take a meal together, and we're going to have a liturgy, and you'll practice and take the Lord's Supper together. So we're trying to bring this into worship and just just make it part of who we are. And without coming to the table, for me personally, I, I don't know how I could make it through my spiritual life. Like, as I've learned this practice, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm broken. I'm I'm I'm. I need God's grace, and this is one of the means of grace that he's given us, to just come to his table and and just accept it and accept his grace, accept his forgiveness, and remember that we're part of a family and we're part of this new covenant that we have in him. Yeah, my people, I hope you, if you have any questions, I hope you do come and please talk to us. I hope you don't get the impression that we think we know all the answers. We're on a journey together. We're all on this journey together. We're asking the Spirit to guide our whole church. So please come, ask us questions. Let's go on this journey together. But most importantly, let's let's glorify Jesus. And so we invite you the next time that we partake in Holy Communion together, which will be this Sunday. We invite you to prepare your hearts to receive His presence and to glorify Him. Thank you so much for your time, guys. We love you so much. Yeah, amen. Have a great week.